We're on. Okay. Episode four, nine one and the eight six four. Right. And we have a guest. We do. We'll talk about here, that here in a sec. Okay. Uh, you may see the college football setup here. We're going to talk about today some key players and patient assessments. So that's why we have this here. Oh. We'll talk about key players. Nicely done. Ah. <laughs> Uh, um, uh, everybody keep the submissions coming, 911-864 at gmail.com. Please let us know. We are searching desperately for interesting cases. Right, and we got a spot on the Swamp Rabbit. That, tell them why we're searching for interesting we're so We're so excited because actually we got a 50-minute time slot live, 911-864 for the Swamp Rabbit Conference. We're super excited about that. Dr. Lutz is going to come on and be a guest with us just to talk about the medical legal aspects of things. Um we're going to do it very interactive with the audience, so we usually like to bring our really interesting cases to the forefront. Um, we've got some, but we'd love to open it up. We can't. We, yeah. I mean, without interesting cases and submissions from people that have their boots on the ground every right. day, I think it's going to be most successful that way. And we've so. ordered challenge coins. We did. They're coming. We're probably going 150 to hit, of them. We're, pro we're probably <laughs> going to hit up Aaron for some shirts. <laughs> 150 we're, challenge points. We're going to hit up Aaron for some What are we going to do with 150 challenge points? I don't know, but it's going to be fun. That's a lot of beer poem. It is. <laughs> <laughs> All uh, right. We'll get started today and talk about how, and just like every episode, we're going to go in our particular order. We'll start with our content corner, get a research roundup, interesting cases, cases, and then we'll get a closure. Yeah. Uh, first off, though, we want to clear up some. I have had several people... <laughs> Asked me about the Barbie yeah, picture. Yeah, it's somehow. true. So okay. this is just a this is a really. Uh, and for our podcast viewers, what we're looking at here. Yeah, it'll be posted online yep. too. But it's a brain. It's a brain, uh, and we're looking at you know the motor cortex and the sensory cortex really. But if you look at it and you imagine that you would stick a Barbie doll's feet break down the middle, and bend her over the side, as as awful as that sounds. It lines up with every aspect, like if her hands are by her side and it lines up like this. And then you'll actually see that like there's reasons like on these, like why does why are some things like so big? Like the hands are so big, the face and mouth are so big. That's because the innervations are so much more there. Right, that makes sense. Like your face is very innervated, your hands are very innervated. Different like your neck is not as is, is innervated as everything else is. So anyway, this is a reference point for you. You can certainly screenshot it or, or reference anything like that and this this is what I meant by the by the motor cortex with the, the Barbie doll standard size Barbie yep a standard Barbie okay if there so wasn't a shortage in toys or the supply chain I'd, I'd have got one for you <laughs> or if I didn't think it was going to be subtly inappropriate I scared me when you're talking about bender over and I'm like no you know I don't do that fast um. <laughs> <laughs> all right anyway let's move on to this piece okay content, content corner Sorry. No, you go. She, she owe me a Pepsi. I do. The Ew, reason Pepsi. Kaylee is here, she had an interesting email submission talking about the clues that we get during a patient assessment. So I figured we talked and we were like, why can't we make that content corner? Because there were some good, uh, some good ideas and things that we do miss because we we try to say systematic, but we also get complacent sometimes too. And some of the results, if we were to get complacent on our patient assessment. Or what if it just doesn't allow you to be systematic? Like the case in front of you, you have to go out of what you typically want to do because something is, you have to take care of something immediately and then you're not, your system's all messed up. So you kind of have to work around that too. One thing I've always said is you can drop a tube from across the room. You can, you can stick, uh, 
a vein with both hands. And my cohort, Tom Isbell, he says he can, uh, he can do an IV with both hands. You can do all that stuff, but if you can't communicate and do a good assessment, you're probably not going to be a right. good provider. You miss right. a lot of things. So that's yep. why she's here today, so we'll bounce some things off of her. Uh, Kaylee, you want to talk about your experience? Um, so I have been in EMS since 2014. I have had my paramedic for about four years now. I've worked for Prisma for the duration of that time. I serve on the special rescue team as a paramedic. I do all of our sepsis data collection and training. And I am very passionate about sepsis. You can ask anyone that works for us. I, I mentioned about that it last a lot. time, by the way. I told Fabs mm. that. Okay. Yeah. I and I also have a lot of teaching experience at the EMR and some of the EMT level as well. Okay. Well, thank yeah. you for coming down here from the drive. What is it, like 45 minutes away just yeah. to hang out with us? So we yeah. appreciate you following up with us. Also, your challenge going should be on the way. Oh, so. Exciting. Thank you for having me. Yeah. Both of y'all. Send <laughs> all email submissions to Challenge Coin. <laughs> All right, we'll get started with Content Corner. And then we're going to talk about our key players in patient assessment, hence why you see the football here. Uh, these are key players to me. These are probably some of the top-notch ones right here. And we can, we're actually going to continue this and talk about some of the more in-depth assessments, some of your secondary type stuff that we don't necessarily. These are more primary assessment related, so these are our key players, players of the game type people, the people that get <laughs> First off, skin condition. Fabs, you've talked about this on several episodes. Pale, cool, diaphoretic uh, patients scare you. Yeah, if you're not terrified by a diaphoretic patient, then you should be worried. I mean, you need to go back and study some more is my thought because they are terrifying, especially a young person who presumably, I have heard time and time again from EMS, yeah, but their vitals are normal. Yeah, till they're dead. That's what they do, right? They compensate, 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 go so diaphoresis is terrifying. What makes them pale, cool, diaphoretic? I often think, first off, is just low perfusion. Let's talk about other things. Right, which, I mean, couldn't be that. I mean, like, then you spin off that and say sepsis, you know, cardiogenic shock, and you go uh, kind of bleeding. Like, mm -hmm. I mean, it's gonna, they're going to shunt all their blood to their core anyway. So um, there's so many times, even with the flight crew, that we've given blood and we've heard, why did y'all give blood? Well, because they look like crap. Like, I mean, it's not, it, like... Yes, their blood pressure was okay, but not they were okay. Um, and so we kind of have that. Can we talk about diabetics? Oh, yeah. And, and diaphoresis. Can we talk about that for a Yeah. Because when I think about pale, cool, diaphoretic being top player, and then I think about diabetics. Sure. You, you, most of the time when you go out on diet, I mean, you could get there and they may be a little hypotensive or whatever, but they're normally normo. I, I, I mean, they'll be normotensive. And uh, blood sugar's 32, and they're sweating, you know, and they're pale mm -hmm. and cool. Uh, so what's what's happening there? Well, I mean, that's the body's response, right? Yeah. It's in distress. I mean, right. and then they start to sweat and everything else. And then, of course, they're cold. Look, they're not sweating because they're hot. Um, and then it's a metabolic process at that point. But you do worry. Um, actually, pretty impressed when people are able to have that response as a diabetic because a lot of them are have some sort of other disease process like hypertension or on a beta blocker then they won't have any reaction like they'll still sweat some but they're they won't be tacky they won't have any of that other stuff because they're beta blocked and so um that always becomes an, an interesting point um that beta blockade was going to come up later in our presentation too but um i think yeah low sugar have you ever felt like you had low sugar oh uh, i think so i have now yeah right like now i feel like it right now <laughs> <laughs> I, Sometimes 
like I and I'm, I don't have diabetes. I think it's just from being overweight. But I just, I mean, sometimes if I like don't eat for a long period of time in the ER, I'm like, ooh, I just feel awful. Like jittery, yeah, sweaty, yeah, like sorta. And I'm like, you know, just you know what it is. But yeah. you're like, but yeah, I've seen people with those low, low blood sugars, and they're just they're covered in sweat. Yeah, yeah, jittery, sweaty. Yeah. Uh, Hangry. Usually is what perceives that, you know. Pink, warm, and dry. I mean, obviously that's good stuff, and that's what we want. But right. uh, don't get don't get bogged down on that. You right. Know, do a right. full assessment. Pink, warm, and dry. We are we obviously have a suspicion that we have good perfusion there, and maybe sick versus not sick. We're thinking more not sick. But, sure. But you know, we have to dive di deeper into the key players right. to actually make that assumption. Uh, skin color and condition is one of those kind of things. You can do across the room and be like, okay, how much time do I right. have? Yeah. Then yeah. your hot and reds. Uh, hot and reds. We talk about your hot and reds. You love your neurogenic shock. Yeah, they always look like that. Almost always. And then, uh, you know, spinal shock can also be warm and dry. We, we actually had a, a recent uh, patient that had similar presentation um, when I was reviewing a chart recently. The other thing to consider is, like, have you seen somebody that's, well, there's a couple things have gone through the steps of one or two of the, of the like hypothermia, hyperthermia. Mm -hmm. You know, there's that reflex reaction, that paradoxical reaction that happens in hypothermia where they take all their clothes off. Mm -hmm. Like they get cold and they shiver, and then they reach a certain point where they're kind of delusional. The body tells you it's, that you're, you get hot, but you're not really getting hot. And you take your clothes off. This is true, like if you read about it. And then you, and then you, you know, you go down the pathway of becoming a severe hypothermic. And so that's really interesting. And that's because of the body is, you know, kind of unable to self-control it, you know, to regulate itself at that point. And so your vessels are dilating and stuff like that. And then you go the other direction of, you know, people that you see. And I think of two groups. I see the people that are, I mean, I won't even go to my mailbox when it's 97 degrees. Like, I don't care what's even in there. Yeah. But somebody else randomly decides to go for a hike that day. And you're like, what are you doing? Like... No, that's not that's not smart, right? Right. Um, just like everybody, presumably, when we had the snowstorm last week, had to go outside and walk for some reason. Mm -hmm. And you're like, you all broke your wrists and your, your hips. <laughs> like, you didn't need to go. To I that. didn't even go out of the house. Yeah, I know. Like, why would why? I mean, I was at Memorial because that's where I, I'm. I always am in Seapod. But anyway, um, I just that doesn't make sense to me. But you look at those people, and they actually they get so overheated then they they actually don't sweat like their the sweat thing turns off more or less and now you're dealing with the overheated thing which actually doesn't i mean that can happen um and we've seen it down in south carolina so there's a whole thought behind that um the other thing are those people that are like quadriplegic have you seen those that can't regulate they have that autonomic disre no dis dysreflexia where they can't regulate their response so they can get a fever and not sweat at all i did i've seen it but i didn't know why I'll be honest. Yeah, it's, it's very interesting. They don't have the nerve control for that kind of stuff. And so you think of those people and you're like, yeah, they're not going to look the same. But, right, hot and red should make you make you concerned. One thing that you didn't talk about that I'm kind of curious, hyperglycemia. Are we seeing it? Somewhere? I don't really. I mean, I, I feel like people have such a threshold for high sugar. I've only seen people get really severely, like, altered with like HHS or DKA, DKA is a different ball game, but HHS in particular, where they're not technically, technically acidotic, but they're severely hyperglycemic. I mean, they can have a sugar of a thousand and then they start to get altered. Do you like see that. any of those hot, dry 
skin conditions with those that's what you know yeah you can um, but you can also you know then there's a total toxidrome thing which, yeah. could, which will fit in that category also <laughs> your mind you're always like yeah but here you have this here. i think it's called add it's never been officially diagnosed but i feel like it's a squirrel <laughs> right yeah pupillary response we'll talk about pupillary response uh and this is a big one for us now too because we just mentioned about the importance of fixed dilated pupils. So if you can see this picture, what do you think of that? Like which eyeball is the bad one? I'm gonna go, uh, I'm gonna go the uh, right one. You think the right one is? Yeah. What do you think? See, I would have gone the other eye, it said, oh, the right one. Patient's left. Patient's so, left eye. Yeah. Well, so the, the one right on the right one side one of the eye. screen. Oh yeah, that's right. Sorry. That's what I agree <laughs> with that because I think yeah. there's a light in her eyeball and I, that one is actually constricting somewhat, but the other one isn't. Um, and, and so, however, that person looks like they're quite alive there. I mean, she looks presumably like she's looking at the camera, so I doubt yeah. that she has a brain herniation. It's probably a, a, a pupillary defect, you know, or um, you can even get that. Um, you somebody that has those scopolamine patches you wear on, like, a cruise or, you know, if you're going to fly or get yeah. seasick. Yeah, If you touch those and then rub your eyeball, you will dilate like that, too. No kidding. Yeah. That's just like the thing to keep you from getting seasick. Yeah, you know, that, that has a medication in it that, anyway, will, will make that um, actually kind of paralyze it. You know, this could have been done in an eye doctor's office where they've dilated one eye but not the other one yet. Just It's just interesting. Like, you, I've gotten, you know, we, when I was a resident uh, up in New York, I got a call one time from this, like, urgent care, and it was, and like, just to be clear, it's very different up at that, I mean, it's, it's, we're, we're doing a really good job down here with the residency program, but up there we had a, like a 10-bed trauma bay. Okay, it was gigantic. And when you became a second year, I just want you to think about this, they handed you the phone and they were like, all right, let us know when you need a, a attending. There was not an attending in there with you. Like you, Gosh. like, and it was like, dzz, dzz, and we were like the burn center or the, we, the organ transplant, like you name it. Anyway, they called me and said, we've got a guy that got shot in the head and he's got a blown pupil, but he's talking. And I was like, what? <laughs> So anyway, it was like toned out as well. Anyway, he had a globe rupture. The the bullet went in through his car window, exploded, it went into his eyeball, never hit his head. It's really interesting, that. actually. But anyway, That's yeah, impressive. so pupils are an important thing, but also like look at the clinical picture, right? Like somebody with a, a, a unilateral blown pupil, presumably in our mind, we're like, ooh, that probably is herniation, right? I mean, like, that's what it is. Right. But if they're talking to you sitting there, it's probably not. There's a whole bunch of disease processes that can cause that. Anascoria is the technical name for a defect. Is that right? Yeah, you always gotta, you always gotta be so medically advanced. <laughs> I, I, I read right. this last right, night. Right. All right, so Kaylee, when we talk about size of pupils, what's some of the things that, when you're thinking about size of pupils, some of your differentials you're going through? So obviously, if they're super tiny little pupils, people are always like, okay, we gotta give them Narcan. They overdosed. And a lot of times, yeah, but I've given Narcan plenty of times, and their pupils are huge, and the Narcan works, and I think people forget that when they're doing that assessment. They're like, oh, it can't be an opioid overdose. And that's the thing, like, but what Fabs was saying, like, be. you got constricted pupils in respiratory effort 18 to 22. You know right. what I'm saying? Yeah. Really, is it matching up? Yeah. You know, I mean, there's so much more if we dig into it. 
we can confirm that we're doing the right thing. So I don't want to go giving nobody Narcan that doesn't need it. Yeah, you'll hate yourself for that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. And uh, obviously reactive, the fact that they are reactive, mm -hmm. the fact that we don't suspect, you know, some type of herniation if they are equal on both sides. Or just ask that. the patient, right? Sometimes like, oh, yeah, I've been like that my whole life. Or I had this, I had surgery on this eye and it's blah, blah, blah. It's like the lady with Rayfly and Facial Group. I remember that. Yeah, yeah, that's what I mean. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Is that how your face normally looks? You know, I don't, don't quite say it tactful. like that. Say it differently than that. <laughs> <laughs> like if you said that to your wife, she wouldn't be happy with you either. Right, right. Uh, and then finally, <laughs> question defects, just like what you're saying. Right. Do you have an issue with one eye, you know, one pupil bigger than the other? Yeah, yeah. Lung sounds. And uh, you'll notice at the bottom, I have a surprise for us. Oh, <laughs> I have a surprise done. for us. Okay. All right, so first off, when I'm thinking lung sounds, uh, I'm thinking, are they equal on both sides? Mm -hmm. Do I have any diminished lung sounds? Especially when it comes to trauma. You know, I want to make sure that I have clear and equal lung sounds, that I have de decent volume being... I have decent volume on both sides. Sure. What do you... What do you how do you listen to lung sounds in the pre-hospital setting and hear anything? So sometimes I gotta tell people, and I don't have a hearing problem. Like I, I legitimately got a, a stethoscope that you can increase the volume on, um, because I, like people don't shut up in the ER, right? Like they're just jibber jabbering around you all the time, and you're like, and I'm not gonna be the one to tell them to shut up. So I'm like, I know it seems like I would, but I'm not. Um, I just you can't do that to your to your staff, or they'll, they'll hate you the rest of your life. So you know, I listen to one, I listen to the other. And sometimes I really, and I don't know if it's just me because of, you know, my inability to focus sometimes that I'm like, let me, let, I got to focus in on this. I, I, how do you listen to it in the pre-hospital setting and hear anything? You see that bottom right there? And I'm going to, and now I'm going to ask Kaylee how she does things just because I don't get to practice as much as I would like to. Yeah. But I've always been a back. I've always been a person, especially with Americans to increase adipose tissue, I've always went to the like back. Like the back uppers, the, mostly, yeah. right? I mean, mm -hmm. mostly. Yeah, I'm a big fan of listening like from here. the back. Like mm here. -hmm. What about you? How do you hear it when there's everything going on? So I tell people to quit talking all the time. Oh, yeah. So, and I like to, that's one of the things I like to do on scene. That's one of the first things. And then you on listen scene. again, maybe when you're in the truck somewhat, yeah. like if you're really worried, you listen well, again there. Generally, the scene's quieter, or you can make the scene quieter than when you're bouncing down the road in the back of the See, truck. See, I don't know these stats. Yeah. Bouncing down the road, it's really, really yeah. tough to listen to. That's what I mean, and I think yeah. sometimes, like if you've hurried off scene because the patient's real sick or something, I'm like, you know, when they're like, oh, they're, oh, they're lungs up. I am more appreciative of somebody that's like, I, oh, listen, I couldn't hear anything because it was loud. I look, I'm like, okay, at least you're honest about it. And you're like, if we don't know. I don't know. Sometimes it's hard. Bouncing down the road is tough. Like, yeah. if you don't, if you, it, I've always said, like, listen to the lung sounds. If you don't take the time to listen to them in a quiet, without bouncing down the road, it's almost like not scanning the back before you put somebody on the backboard. Yeah. That ship settled. If you're yeah. going to the hospital, right? Yeah, that yeah, ship sells. That's right. Uh, so, don't be adventitious. Uh, I kind of took this from "Don't be suspicious." Don't be <laughs> suspicious, which we already talked about singing this morning. So, uh, adventitious lung sounds. Uh, we talk about wheezing, crackles. What do they mean to us? Rails. Uh, what does that kind of stuff mean to us? Uh, so, wheezing. What does wheezing mean to you, Doc? 
usually asthma or COPD, but I'll tell you, if you're pretty far along the process, you'll only hear boo, and then you yeah. do an, a uh, do an ebb, and then they, they sound worse. Expiratory? Yeah. Usually. Listen to this story. I was out with a um, lady that was a uh, well-known copd -er, and I got out with her, and you could hear it from the door. I mean, I didn't even need that scope. You know, you could hear it from the door. And I give her a quick albuterol treatment. Uh, she asked me to be very judicious with like CPAP because she, she would get very, very nervous. And I got her in the truck. We had, and we, we fully assisted her, did not let her walk at all. She's a very young lady. Got her in the truck. We were talking about um, doing a reassessment, reassess lung sounds. And she was one of those ones that I was like, well, you're, you're still wheezing, but you, you seem like you're moving a lot more air. You're moving air more, but yeah. you sound horrible. And yeah. she and she she looked looked at me and and if I'm wheezing, I'm okay. Yeah, so she already knows. <laughs> yeah. And she was like, just don't give me. She didn't want another treatment because it already made her jittery enough. Right. And oh, so I mean, it's a, it's one of those things, you know, listening to your patient. They tell you a lot. They tell you a lot. I've always said. It, when you got to make that choice, if they're awake and you're trying to think, am I? Is this the one to innovate? Should I be innovating this patient? I've always said, did you ask them? Yeah. Because I, you can get a lot of information just by asking them, right. saying, hey, are we to that point where we need to breathe for you? And you know, if they if they say no, I'm I'm going with what they say. Yeah, that's true. Unless something changes. That's a good point. All right. So my my activity for us is let's listen now. You'll notice that that is not hyperlinked. <laughs> that is not hyperlinked. Okay. So. What are we doing? You're gonna you're gonna demonstrate what crackle sounds like. Oh, am I? You're gonna do your best because I'm about to do wheezing because I've been practicing. Well, you didn't tell me to practice. Well, do you think you can do it? I don't know. Can let's, you give it a try? Let's do wheezing first. Okay, so wheezing. Uh, obviously, when I think about wheezing, the mechanism behind wheezing, you take your balloon and you, and it's expiratory most of the time, right? Most of the time. So I'm going to take my deep breath in. <laughs> well done. Can we do it again? You're going to anyway. It's like a cat or something. <laughs> Is it not good? No, I, I think with the crackles, it's like... When you take a breath in, but it's at the, it's usually later. Yeah. And then you can hear it again after they start to breathe again at the beginning, right? So they breathe it, you breathe in. Can you get closer here? Because this, this yeah. is like here, like here. Yeah, okay. No, you do yours closer now. Okay. Wheezing. It's like, and then at the end, they're like, okay. Like that. You got rails. No? No, I sure don't. That's like... Can you get close? <laughs> like... There you All go. Right, those I are the lungs right, if you're wanting that's to know, awesome. if you're wanting to know how lung sounds sound, there it goes: crackles, wheezing, and rails. Get on a website, listen to lung sounds. Right. I don't really care, right. but I wanted to do that. I thought it would be fun too. Fun, so, fun. Yep. You should come do that when we teach lung sounds in the classroom. Oh, oh, I'm, I'm getting hand signals, and I'm too far away. <laughs> Close. This one I put in here for Kaylee, cause she is. She's like a sepsis guru. I bring in. 
uh, trauma alert or whatever, and you're like, uh, they met such a scratch here. I'm like, I really, really, Kaylee, really. Let's have Kaylee talk about this, actually, because yeah. from the sepsis standpoint, you can be one or other, right? One end or the other, so. Yes. So anything, we're looking for 100.4 four higher and then 96.8 or lower. And the big part of that is you, if you have that hypothermia, they're more likely to die at that point. Right. And that hyperthermia, that's, you've got time to fix it. And we like to catch it in that phase. But people always ask me, they're like, why don't you have to have a fever or have to have the hypothermia? Why can Sears criteria not include that? Because you could be in between. They could have taken Tylenol. There's so many things that can factor that temperature out. Right. That having two of the other criteria, your heart rate, your tachypnea, mm -hmm. that can be important too. Temperature doesn't have to be in there. Why is it the, the sickest of the sickest hypothermic though? Why is that? Well, I think it's probably metabolic, but also due to the hypothalamus. Because that's hypothalamus late, late science, right? That's yeah. exactly right. Yeah. Those people scare me more than the hypothermic. Yeah. If you yeah. tell me you have a temperature of 100.5, like, I mean, or 105, that, I mean, that sucks, but I'm not, I'm not, not as, as worried about you. Not as a rectal I mean, temp of 94. Yeah. yeah, they are terrifying because then yeah. a lot of times they're not even shivering. They're not doing anything. And um, those are late, late signs, right? Yeah, yeah. That's so late. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I, that was that was a curious thing to me. And obviously, I've always knew that that is you know right. late signs. But it is something good to talk about too because when when we do, and I've seen providers, very good providers, uh, do take a temperature, and you know the crappy equipment that sometimes. We, we deal right, with yeah, and yeah. the environment that so we yeah. deal with not just the equipment but the patient being able to cooperate to get yeah. a good temperature on that patient right and they'll be like we suspect sepsis and they just go in and, and they check yeah. a temperature and they're always oh, through their mouth a hundred times a minute yeah. like, that's yeah. not accurate either yeah, I don't expect them to do a rectal in the I mean like I get no. that but like an axillary would be good yeah. Yeah. yeah and go back to the old hand I throw my hand on the forehead yeah. I'm like okay you are hot or you are cold yeah and yeah. If I've got my other two, and your temp is like ninety eight point six, you're like, yes. this is not the case. There's yes. just no way. We yes. didn't own yeah. thermometers. Uh, my mom always used the back of her hand. We didn't own them. My mom yeah. had that old school mercury one that nobody else could read but her because she'd like and rotate it like this ever so slightly as glass. I'm sure it's you know. Poisonous <laughs> we should put this back on the truck. <laughs> I know. I'm like, she was like this. I just remember her being like, "Yeah, but it's And I mean, like, I tried even as an adult, you know, like a, like a teenager to take it myself that way, and I never could read it. So. <laughs> You had to go back to your mom's class. Mm -hmm. You yeah. skipped a couple really important things. What about our heat and cold exposures? Heat and cold exposures. Talk about them. So I was reading an interesting thing where it talked about for our heat strokes, even in the field as EMS, we should be doing rectal continuous temperatures. Okay. And I was like, what? That's interesting. Oh, I don't want to do that. I don't want to do that. But to that's do. what that's what it said. It said you should be doing that continuously as you're actively cooling these patients. Well, and I've never seen that in practice. That's why when I always, you know, when I suspect that, when I suspect that my temperature might have been a little wonky, I always go back and, did y'all get a rectal yet? Just because I'm curious, <laughs> yeah. you know, because I know it's so much more accurate. Right, right. Yeah. But, yeah, I, I'll, I'll, I'll let you do that. <laughs> so, in the hospital, when you are actively cooling patients, do you do that? Yeah, continuous? we have a rectal probe or we have a, a Foley with a temp probe. Temp interesting. Yeah. I didn't yeah. know that. Yeah. I brought in a guy that was... Um, that was borderline like agitated delirium, and I, that was when I learned about the the um, Foley how you can monitor oh, yeah. the temperature. Yeah. Yeah. I thought that was really really cool. I didn't even know like 
And they had told me, and I'm like, so y'all are monitoring his temperature from the floor? And I'm like, yeah. That's awesome. And he was hyperthermic. Yep. We, I believe that. He, he, was, he was all over the place. Anything else we want to talk about with temperature? And then warming them up. We find a lot of people in the woods for various reasons, or we get people out of lakes for various reasons. They need actively warmed. Right. And that's something I didn't even think about talking about today, but I guess since I did mention it, is, is especially when you get those behavioral combative ones that are just temperature is a key indicator of how far, how how sick they are. Yeah, because they're usually in rhabdo. Yeah, because they've been fighting. And and yeah. it, and, it, and those are those are tough. Yeah. Because if you decide to make the attempt to, like, you actually have to protect their airway, that's a dangerous intervention that oh. we're having to do. You know what I'm saying? Yes. You get what I'm saying? Yeah. Like, uh, like I had a guy that was just all over the place, but if I'd have had to innovate him, I probably would not have done him. all his drive away. Oh, yeah. I would have done yeah. him a terrible disservice. And, uh, of course, I took him to the hospital, and, you know, we were able to get him there. And he actually did really, really good, but. I think about what you were saying with the active warming. I think a lot of the time we don't, you know, we, we don't remember to take people out of their clothes. They're usually wet some, somehow. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, you know, you, right, for whatever that is. And then the other thing is when we put, whether they're hot and we're actively cooling or something, we do have to protect their skin a little bit. Like we can't just put a bunch of hot stuff around them and leave it there because they're not going to know they're getting burned. At Prisma Health, we have a, we have the heat blankets yeah. that yeah. would take like ten minutes to activate. But our policy, you know, obviously, you put a barrier there, sheet blanket, whatever, and then put that on top of that. And that thing is amazing. I'm very, very blessed with our administration that has made, and we actually have policies on type of safe transport for hypothermic patients. And I've actually wanted a bear hugger at my house. You know how it like <laughs> levitates above you, yeah. provides heat that blows around. You want me to get that for you for Christmas? Yeah, I told the nurses I'm going to take that home. <laughs> anyway. This is uh, something that I read. Uh, this may be diff- uh, kind of new for you guys, uh, but this is something I recently just read during uh, my studies and just, you know, nerding out at home. Uh, mm-hmm. And I really like this because as a provider, I'm going to be honest with you, I, I've, I've been guilty of taking that 12 lead, looking at it. It's not wide. It's not fast and it doesn't have ST segment elevation, it's okay. <laughs> and that's just what I think about it well, because those are things that we treat. Sure. But I want to give Favs a good picture when I bring this patient in, and I want her to think I know what I'm talking about and I actually care, <laughs> and I looked at, you know, I looked at things right. through a systematic approach. So maybe this works for you, maybe it doesn't, and maybe you can provide me some input um, after sure. I give it to you. I'm going to explain to you. This is the A through I method. So the A, we're talking about axis. We're talking about axis deviation. Mm-hmm. We're talking about where the conduction is coming from from the heart. Is it coming across normal? And obviously we know that on our life packs or our zoles, we have you know the QRS degrees of where it should be coming from. Mm-hmm. And also we have the uh, lead one and AVF type stuff as well, mm-hmm. some of the things that we might have to research. And then uh, B is blocks. When I talk about blocks, we're talking about particularly AV blocks um, to start with, and then moving on to double fascicles, you know, far as um, hemi blocks and things of that nature. Mm-hmm. So, uh, and then C, you would ask what C is, and C is pericarditis. And when C, when I think, but you're like, okay, it starts with a P, but I always capitalize the C, and then lowercase everything else, so it kind of emphasizes pericarditis. Uh, pericarditis is interesting, obviously, because... We have global ST segment elevation, uh, maybe some notching going on with the QRS um, right there at the 
the uh, J point. Mm -hmm. I, I think I'm saying that right. But anyways, uh, but uh, when I was reading about pericarditis, yes, global ST elevation is, is a good indicator. But something cool that I thought about is lead one and lead two. Almost always, if you have elevation in those two leads, pericarditis. The reason why is because you think. Lead one is looking at your high, your top lateral view of your heart. Yeah. Lead two is looking at the inferior, two totally different, right. all, you know, sides. So yep. if you have elevation in both of those leads, you either have a massive STEMI or, you know, probably the biggest one you've ever had or pericarditis. And then actually what's, what they've found to be even more sensitive than diffuse ST elevation is actually diffuse PR depression. It, yeah, that was mentioned as well. Yeah. That was mentioned as well. And actually, I was doing some practice questions recently, and that was the answer. Diffuse PR depression. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yep. That's more sensitive. E, electrolytes. High, uh, Wait, you D. What's D? Oh, D. D. Drug toxicity. Like, um, are you talking about a like calcium channel blocker over Digitalis, TCA, calcium channel. TCA. Yeah, yeah stuff that you might significant see. Significant TCA overdoses. This EKG year. changes, you oh, know, yeah. that you may see. Sure. For just from drug tox, drug yeah. tox. I think the what? digitalis one's called such a such I don't know. drug toxicity. <laughs> then what do they call the digitalis one? It looks like a hockey stick. Some people will ladle, a ladle. Yeah, the Salvador Dali's the, mustache. Yeah, so weird. The ladle. Yeah. It's the ladle. Yeah, right yeah. there. Yeah, or the hockey stick. Yeah. Uh, e electrolyte imbalances uh, as far as uh, hyperkalemia, um, hypocalcemia, hypo. Kalemia, that type of stuff. Uh, any questions with electrolytes there? No, I, there's just so many. Like, there's just so many things that can go happen with the EKG with electrolytes. With hi hyperkalemia, we're going to start to see some EKG, EKG changes about 5.5. Is that right? I guess. Some people are a little more sensitive. But like, you'll get peak T waves, and then you'll get, like, widened QRS. And then by the time you get the sine wave, they're pericoding. I mean, that's, you know, it's pretty significant. It's funny that you just mentioned sine wave. Mm -hmm. What do you think F stands for? I don't know. Funny waves. Sine <laughs> waves. Sine waves. Sine waves are terrifying. You better be prepared. <laughs> uh, delta waves, as far as WPW. Just right. uh, sine waves, uh, Q waves that might come about. I've seen recently a sine wave where somebody hadn't had dialysis in, um, in over a month. And, and the That's like the, I'm telling they're about to arrest yep. type of thing. Yeah. G, general impression. I'm, you can look at the EKG. But if the patient is not presenting sick, talk to a doctor. And yeah, because it doesn't necessarily mean it has yeah. to be treated. Yeah, right? let them know yeah. and send it. Yeah, send yeah. it on That's and say, right. "Hey, is this normal?" You know, speaking of, actually, it looks pretty good compared to when we did one a month ago. True. Um, let's go back to that E one just for one second. I just thought of something. So, I'm going to tell you what's irritating as a physician is a paste EKG because they always look weird, and you never like. Like, you're just looking for global disaster at that point, right? Like, you're not going to get in there and pick apart anything, right? They always look awful. I had a guy, and I've had a couple cases like this, who is post-COVID, no PE, whatever, and had a pacemaker and had these big T waves. This is before any of his labs were back. But, like, I consulted cardiology about it. They're like, oh, I think his pacer was trying to get him out of AFib. Yeah, well, his potassium was 8.5. Mm. Yeah, it was bad. And, um, you know, he had, he was, he was, he didn't end up making it, and I think he had, you know, it was a really weird presentation. I actually had a very similar presentation to that on a different patient, like, two days later, and it, like, freaked me out. But um, he actually didn't look terrible and then kind of 
decompensated quickly is what it ended up happening. But um, yeah, his T waves with the pace through them are always, uh, you know, any of anytime you get a pace EKG, you're always like, oh, okay. Like you look at it, you're like, well, is, it, is there major changes on here or not? Yeah. I hate pace rhythms. I know. I hate I know. pace rhythms and I hate bundle branch blocks. Yeah, I mean, other than <laughs> other than the basic stuff, you yeah. know, that like you're like, okay, well, it doesn't look like there's an ST disaster here. Yeah. But I mean, honestly, if there's something crazy with a, a pace rhythm, I usually have to talk to cardiology because I'm like, I, I don't know. Beyond like identifying major disaster, I have no idea. Yeah, so. I, I, yeah, I hate I hate pace yeah. rhythms and I hate bundle branch blocks. Yeah. Bundle branch blocks make me bring out Scarbosa criteria. Oh, yeah. And I'm like, oh, my yeah. God, I can't remember this stuff. i got to Google it. <laughs> and then, uh, but what you were talking about, pace rhythms. But the thing is, what I just went about is whatever your EKG says, if it looks bad or it looks good and your patient presents bad, let somebody know. I don't yeah. care if it's normal sinus at 62 with nothing. Yeah, maybe it has nothing to do with Hey, there is crushing chest pain. This patient's severely short of breath. Yeah. Let's make some decisions here. Yeah. Right. Right. Uh, And then H is hypertrophy, Uh, specifically just some differentiations on LVH, you know, some STEMI mimickers and stuff like that. And also, I didn't really get it, dig into this. And when the the article was talking about hypertrophy, but it talks about like, uh, increase P waves into like sure. P mitral or I don't really understand it. Yeah. I just mean be honest. Yeah. And then finally, the most interesting thing is the last part of the assessment is infarcts. Um, is was one of the things that every time I pick up a twelve lead, and I may still do this. I'm not saying that I'll use this method. I really like it, but I, but I was always looking. Oh, okay, no SCMA element. Okay, you know, well, not wide, not narrow. You know, and, and then but infarcts was the last thing. Sure. Um, but Did they say why they put infarcts last? No. Interesting. No. That is interesting. No, infarcts were the last. Probably because it's really systematically the first thing we're looking at. So we're even though we're looking at axis deviation, we're all we're already rolling out an infarct. It's in our head. Right. So that's probably why that's last because they know that we're already rolling out an infarct. Interesting. You know what I'm sure. saying? Yeah. I, I take the same approach every time I read an EKG just because that's what was drilled into me during medical school and then residency. And it's, it's really just like, say, is this sinus or not? Yeah. Where is the axis? You know, where are the ST changes? Are there any? Look, I just go the exact same way every time. So pre-hospital axis deviation, I mean, it gives us it gives us an idea, you know, maybe where they're headed. It but helps you, but not, not as much as you think it would. Mm-hmm. No. Not as much as you think it would. And, and that's first, you know, axis deviation. And I'm trying to just make sure that I, I have this right. All right, so 0 to 90, we're normal. Mm-hmm. And uh, 180 to, which some of our monitors don't go to 180. Some of it go above yeah, yeah. 180. But um, uh, let's see. So our axis deviation where we're extreme would be right above normal. And typically that's going to be like our 270 to 30 because don't we get like a minus 30 yeah it's I, I that's what i mean like unless it's an extreme right axis deviation on the a majority of the time i don't find it very helpful well that was an interesting content corner um a little longer than we usually do but it was interesting discussion point too long <laughs> anyway no 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 you're good that's the point of it so um, so let's go through these other uh, sections that we usually do. Research Roundup, I thought, um, was interesting. We had mentioned this before, 
Um, I had heard on a podcast of a critical care physician discussing like the, um, you know, the that you can't count on fixed and dilated pupils as a sign of, of um, poor outcome. And I, I thought, gosh, that's interesting. So anyway, I did find this article, which um, I've screenshotted a picture of. I don't expect you to go look it up or anything. Uh, there's a lot of thought behind this, but basically they were saying that in this article that um, loss of pupillary light reactivity, meaning fixed and dilated, more or less is a, recognizes a poor prognosis after CPR. That I don't think... I don't think anybody's really disagreeing with that, but um, drug overdose, low cardiac output, and resuscitation drugs can actually lead to impaired pupillary light reflex anyway. So you're like, oh, shoot. Well, me personally um, really um, try to base my uh, termination on a number of things, right? Like I'm, we're actively resuscitating these people like Given it all we got, like it's, it's a good, like I need to know a good story of what led up to that. Like just, you know, if they're young, I'm going to try real hard. If they're older and have 400 comorbidities and nobody has any idea when they were last seen, that's a little bit different. You always worry about the brain, right? Like you don't want to, you know. So um, I actually ultrasound all of my people that I'm, uh, that if I, I terminate and declare. Of course you do. Because I'm not going to, I'm afraid they'll be, they'll be sitting up in your dad's morgue. <laughs> And I'll be on the news, so I don't I don't like to do that. But of course you do, right? So so then I got nervous when I heard this. I was like, oh oh shoot, you know. You, but you know, how many times do do we call from the field and say? I always when I'm, gonna terminate, when I'm going to terminate arrest, the last thing my catch all, uh, no matter what I've told them what I've done. Oh yeah, their pupils are fixed and dilated. I'm telling you, but I mean, I'm not saying that that's not still. Appropriate. I'm just saying I thought this statement by this critical care doctor was interesting. But anyway, they went, you know, they, they basically looked at these cases. Um, they identified, um, they said 29, patient, 29 patients, they looked at uh, 99 patients, I guess. So they had pupils that were non-reactive to light on admission examination before they were like, did therapeutic hypothermia. Um, eight of whom later had return of pupil reactivity by day three. Read that one more time. All right. So it was 29 patients had pupils that were non-reactive to light on admission. So theoretically fixed and dilated is what we're saying, right? So and these are hypothermic patients, right? right? Now they did therapeutic hypothermia. They did cardiac They were cardiac arrest patients. And they right. went through, like, okay, therapeutic so hypothermia. This okay. was after they, yeah. yeah okay. And, and it says, and so they arrived with the probably fixed and dilated picture is what I imagine they're saying. Um, eight of which whom later had return of pupil reactivity by day three. You're kidding me. And I'm like, okay. Uh, now, only some had a good outcome as far as how they did. Does it um, say how many had a good outcome? Yeah, th there's only, of those, there was like two or three, and then other people had like a number of other problems like you can imagine. Like they actually did have neurologic disaster even though they had reactive pupils, just other stuff, you know, and it was just interesting. Um, it, so the, their conclusion, largely, was recovery of pupillary light reflex is possible, and in a small minority of cases, let's be honest, a good outcome can be achieved. All that does is terrify me, actually. It doesn't actually help me with anything <laughs> in my mind. But I think Everybody gets ultrasound. Everybody I gets mean, ultrasound. You know, that's what you're trying to say as far as, like, you're going to ultrasound them to make sure, like, once you declare them, like, you want to make sure their heart really is no cardiac activity. There really isn't anything like that. But I'm like... Oh my gosh! Look, I'm I. How many times 
like in my, all my training, like if they're fixed and dilated, it's probably blah blah blah. I mean, and in a way, sometimes I'm like, why are we, why are we admitting these people to the ICU so they can go up there? And they're, and sometimes it's, yes, it's about walking the family through it, right? It's about like getting there, and I, I get all that. Like, and there's you know organ donation and all kinds of other stuff that, but um, I don't feel like we can just depend on the fixed and dilated picture. I don't either. Not anymore. It's a. It's, it's eight. Out of twenty nine, I know, and I'm like, and of course, yeah. I mean, only I mean, two, these are not. I mean, these are high risk patients. Eight out of twenty nine. Like, huh? Do the math. I'm doing it right now. <laughs> I'm doing it right now. I'll keep everybody's attention while I'm doing that. So anyway, um, I thought that was interesting for research roundup. I'm not saying go guns a blazing and stuff. There's other things you have to look at, right? Like the clinical picture. Like how long have they been down? Like other, how many comorbidity? I mean, just just other stuff. But I'm like, you know, we give all these resuscitation drugs and all this stuff, and I'm like. Huh. I feel like, of course, that makes sense. Like in a in, in a way, like their whole body is stunned. Twenty eight percent of those patients had pupillary response return. Interesting. <laughs> I'm like, I don't I don't know what you do with that. Everybody gets ultrasound. That's right. You're you know yeah, even if there's obvious death, right? Yeah. yeah. Anyway, uh, no head. You know what? It'd no be interesting head. to ultrasound. ask your father about that. Why don't you ask him about? He'd probably make up some He'd answer. Probably, probably have some amazing answer. Anyway. <laughs> So that's research roundup. Uh, I wanted to just do a couple things. I'm going to do this thought section first. And it was kind of a, this is sort of a discussion, but like we can put it out to our users and see if they can get like, you know, our, our listeners and see if they can give us some answers back. Maybe it would be you, you, you could even think about it and answer us back or, or if you have some thoughts on it today. What if you don't agree with your partner? Now this happens all the time in the ER. And I don't mean pre-hospital. I mean like, you don't agree with your consultant. You don't. You don't. You listen over here a case that your their you know coworker is working on, and you're like, yeah, but have you thought about this? Or there's a way you can say something to them, and then you outright can say, well, I do because I just I mean, but other people don't have that personality. It's just like, no, no, it's probably this. Like, keep your mind open to this. Like, don't think it's not this. You know what but I mean? But Wendy says good breakfast too. Is that what you're talking about? That, sure. Um, <laughs> but, uh, like, I, like, I think I had a case this weekend where they brought me a patient. And the pa- and these are all people I know, I've known for a long time, that brought this patient in. And one of the, the group, if you will, talked to me and aside, and I don't agree with what this report is. And I want you to be aware of it. And I'm like, huh. I thought, first of all, that's ballsy. I'm, I'm, I'm glad they did, right? I, I feel yeah. like I'm a fairly approachable person. I'd love for somebody to tell me something um, about stuff. And um, I just, what do you do in that situation? How do you reconcile that on a truck? Or like when you're presumably giving a doctor a report and like your partner's the one giving the report and in the back of your mind you're like, Just th- think about it. I don't know if we discuss it today or we just have it on our minds and think and reapproach later. I just, I don't know. I well, always vote say something. I, and there's I, a way to do that that's professional and isn't going to make you look like. What if both of you don't agree and you're at the hospital? Like, what if, like, presumably someone's going to shut you down, right? Like, the person leave. this is their call, quote, right. unquote, their call, right? right. You drove it in. It's right. their call. But you've seen the patient, you've looked at the patient, you've, or you had somebody else dr- driving, maybe there's three of you on it, okay, whatever. And you're like, yeah, nope. Like, 
I've always been a fan of tell me why you think that. Because sometimes I've been wrong. Tell me why you think that. Tell me tell me what your rationale is. And if they can be like, oh, okay, well, it's this. I'm like, well, that's a good point that I wasn't thinking about. Now let me tell you what I was thinking and see if I can jog the same response from What them. if you're at the hospital then? I mean, here's the other thing. Like, you get to the point where you have to work with those people the rest of the day, right? Like, you're mm-hmm. stuck with those people the rest of the day. And, I mean, you know, on one small box on wheels, I just, in my mind, I don't know. How do you reconcile that? How do you, what if you're at the hospital, you did what you did. Why do you think that? Or, or what if they are that type, such as the case that happened this weekend, where one of them is a really... Uh, loquacious, dominant personality, and the other person is not. That doesn't mean they're dumb. They're just not that. Yeah. How do you? How? What do you say to the doctor? Do you say let them give the report and say yes? But I also thought about this as well. Like, do you do that? I don't know. Nine one eight six four at gmail dot com. Yeah. How about I want to pick your brains about? Yeah. It. How just about people tell there. us? Tell <laughs> us what to do. And if you're looking for what loquacious means, so am I. So, um, so anyways, uh, um, yeah, send, that'll be send, on wheel of fortune later. Send the stuff. All right. Here's our case. Our interesting case. This actually, this past week. And I had a 63 year old African American male, um, that did not take EMS in DMAs, uh, that came in for coughing up blood for one day. That's his whole complaint. He has had some l- mild left sided chest pain that radiates to the left upper extremity. No leg swelling, no recent surgeries, no recent illness. Heart rate is 60, blood pressure 132 over 73, O2 set 98% on room air, a, a febrile. This is his EKG. Okay. Define coughing up blood. Like, are we talking yeah, about blood that's a great question. Are we talking like. Right, good question. I vomited for three days and that's now exactly my what you should be asking. That's right. Irritated. So. So he says to me, you know, he's on, he's had a, uh, had a horrible MVC back in November, so he's got a lot of, like, aches and pains from that, so he's on some kind of pain regimen. I think there's gabapentin and some other stuff. Can I stop you real quick? Mm. For our listeners yeah. via podcast, our 12 lead looks great. Looks pr- pretty normal. Looks great. Pretty normal, yeah. Okay. So, Sorry. Um, no, that's a good, that's exactly what you should ask. And so I ask him, like, are you on blood thinners? Nope. Does he take excessive aspirin or any of that kind of stuff? No. Is he a smoker? Nope. Does he smoke marijuana? All, you know, that you have to ask every level of smoking, whatever that is. And th- no, he's not. He's been taking all of his medications. It's like the typical run-of-the-mill medications or anything. He hasn't lost any weight, nothing like that. So anyway, he's got these aches and pains all the time around. And I'm like, okay, like, I mean, so he's like, yeah, it was like this size, maybe clot or something. And I'm like, but you didn't, and this is a good thing that I have to ask, you didn't throw it up. You actually coughed it up. And he's like, yeah, I coughed it up. And I was like, but you haven't had a fever yet, no upper respiratory. He's like, no. I'm like, weird. So on your differential, of course, it's like bronchitis, pneumonia, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, cancer. I mean, let's face it, that's on there. Mm -hmm. Uh, maybe it's not coming from the lung, it's coming from the esophagus. That's always a thought. Is it a nosebleed that actually is going backward and not coming out of the lung, but coming out of the back of the throat? That's a thought. What else? Uh, well, I mean, I, obviously. Um, What's like the one thing, they, this is like the case that they teach in like a textbook, but actually never is the case in the, in the 
that's Hemoptysis pollen that we didn't name yet. Pollen? P.E., right? That's always like coughing up blood is one of the listed symptoms, but it's never, how many times have you ever seen that in your life? It's like never, right? It's like never. It's like, usually P.E. is like short of breath and pleuritic chest pain, honest to God, right? So, uh, so I'm like, that, this is so bizarre. So we do a D-dimer, even though I don't necessarily do those all the time. But this time, like, okay, whatever. Anyway, super nice guy. Very nice. Um, and so we do this CAT scan. That blue star is coming up as information. And uh, you will have to maybe we'll draw circles around it yeah. to show. So what are we looking at? We're looking at a – so this is always – I always like to tell people, like, a CT scan – this is like if you cut the patient down the middle in this direction, right? Like if you cut them in half, and you're looking at them like this way. So this is their right lung, this is their left lung, okay? And this is a vascular exam. So this is a CTE, a CT angiogram for PE study. Um, anyway, his D-dimer was a little elevated. Not through the roof, not ridiculous, but abnormal. Okay, whatever. So I, we did a CT scan, and I know I'm off the, I'm off the thing. I get it. Um, here and here, do you see that this would be very nice, good blood flow? Here it's all bright, and there's this big black blob here, mm -hmm. and there's a black blob here, mm -hmm. and there's a little black blob here. Blood clot. Hmm. You have bilateral PEs, and actually you see this down here, this smuts down in the corner. Mm -hmm. That's the medical term, just so you know. That is uh, probably pulmonary infarct from PE and a pleural effusion from a PE. Did he complain of shortness of breath? No. He but had he no shortness chest pain. But he had chest pain right there and pain to the arm. And why would that be? Diaphragm irritation. Right? This is sitting directly on top of the diaphragm. Would it, um, how are his stats? 98%. Blew my mind. Can you go back to the 12 Sure. Week? Yeah. Let's Do go we back. have S, S1, Q3, T3? Not really. It's hard to see, right? Because it's kind of low voltage right here. Yeah. Uh, he's on a beta blocker, so his heart rate's 60. Always interesting, too, right? Yeah. Now he's beta blocked, right? We had tell, I told you we yeah. to come back to the beta blockade. Yeah, these people yeah, try he's to He's actually do doing well. We put him on a heparin drip, and he yeah. actually went home on Geralto. They literally could find no reason. He was COVID negative, just to clarify that, because I know y'all are thinking, COVID negative. He did not do anything. He didn't travel. They did an echo. They did ultrasounds of his legs, all negative. Did he work every day? Every day he worked. Can you? I, this is that case that, like, if you look, if there was an exam question and they were like, hemoptysis P should be like at the top of your list because you know that's what they're getting at. But in reality, we hardly ever see hemoptysis. Did with this guy. It was weird. And I was like, why is your O2 set 90%? I mean, I get why you're beta block, right? So you're 60. So that's a good yeah. reminder of that. You know, it's a good reminder for us that, like, they would. But he looked well. But the, the if you had done an x ray on him, you would have seen a pleural effusion in the left lower lobe, okay. or, uh, which would have caused you to to do a further assessment. Actually, he shouldn't have a. Re There's no reason for him to have a pleural effusion. You see what I'm saying? Were you at no, I was at Memorial. Okay. Oh yeah, I, that is a good question because usually weird bizarre cases come in Greer. That's what I figured. <laughs> that's what I figured. Yeah. Were. So anyway, I, I thought that is a classic presentation. But that's a classic presentation that they want us to know from a textbook that never happens. So looking at it from the standpoint of the A through I, he has good access. Uh, his access is perfect. Right. Uh, There's no, no ST changes significant at all. No I mean, blocks. maybe he's got an F1, blah, blah, blah. 
you know, we answer the S1Q3, T3 mainly for our test taking purposes, but in reality, sinus tachycardia is the most normal, or sinus rhythm itself with no tachycardia is the most normal. EKG read for a PE. Uh, yeah, nothing. Good looking 12 lead. I mean, it not was. Bad. I mean, he looked well. And I was like, and I had a, a, a resident with me. I was like, let's just roll a D dimer gamble and see what happens. And she's like, okay. And I was like, five full PEs everywhere. Oh, what was a D dimer? It was like four point something. I know that that sounds like it's high. I get all that, but it, or two point something. It was not even like fifteen or something that you've seen. Most before. most textbooks say that D dimer being low is a lot more telling. Yeah. Than D dimer being right because it could be high, high for a number of reasons. Yeah. 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 But yeah. I'm like, this is so weird. I'm like, why do you have? Yeah. I, I I guess better to say D dimer being negative. Than Helps you out more. Yeah. That's right. Yeah. But, you know, the other thing is is that this is considered an unprovoked PE. They have no reason. Now, he's 63, presumably, if you had a clotting No problem. travel. No. If, if you had a clotting issue, presumably, that would have come up by now in your lifetime. Have you had dreams here lately? Of what, you? <laughs> Maybe he traveled <laughs> in his dreams. <laughs> <Right>. Now what's <laughs> weird. Anyway, so he's, he's at home doing well. That's good yeah. stuff. Of course that. You were part of that. I know. Like, why? And again, there's my. That's our closing slide. There's my niece. No, it's not. <laughs> Look at her. I gotta remember to get her her birthday gift. <laughs> anyway, we are open to emails. We are gonna get these challenge coins when. Um, challenge coins should be coming in very soon. Like I would say, probably within the week. Okay, and we're we gonna make Aaron give us um, um, t-shirts. We're gonna talk to him about that. I'll just call him randomly in the middle of his meetings. He's used to that. And then um, <laughs> I got an update from DHEC. You uh, did? I did. I got an update from DHEC. Uh, so DHEC supported this, and they've been really good with us. And they uh, ran it in their quarterly training. So, uh, and then that was like, hey, I hope it was okay. I'm like, yeah, it's fine. That's what it's there for. Right. And uh, so he, we've we've been in conversation with them. So. Hopefully we get, you know, uh, another 12 months, but nonetheless, you still have uh, about eight that you can turn in for Right, CD and we credit. need the one for the Swamp Rabbit. That's like, we're really focused yeah, on Yeah, 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 that's going to happen, you know, and, and, yeah. and we're going to, and you, you've already been working behind the scenes, so I feel pretty good right. about that, and there's going to be some really good And of course, there. we wouldn't be able to do any of this if it wasn't for Ellie DeBose. We know that. Um, she's actually going to be a doctor someday, but we really still need her to be our technical support probably for the rest of her life. Um, <laughs> but her mother, uh, is, her parents are both wonderful physicians, but her mother is a hoot, of, and she's a, a very talented OB, so we hope to be having her on our show yeah. soon to really give us like the nitty-gritty of what we need to know and debunking some myths. Debunk myths. Why are you always trying to debunk myths? Because because that's an important part. Like, have you ever heard somebody empirically say, "Oh, it's always this"? Can you put this on, please? With my <laughs> hair up like this? No, you put it on. One so, that's the key players. That's it for that's today. How we close it out. <laughs> that's the key players for today. So, the key players in patient assessment. Uh, thank you all for uh, listening and being a part of this. And if you want credit, take the test. If you don't, then just listen. And thank you for coming. Yes, thanks it for having me. Thank you. Yes, thanks for having me. Doc. <laughs> yeah.